Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jared Pickney. And today I'm really excited about this episode with Brent and Amanda Wall. Both Brent and Amanda took the time to unpack their story of addiction, how they met and why they continue to live on campus at John 316 uh, Ministry. It's a rehab that was actually started by Amanda's father. I loved how vulnerable the Wall family uh, was in this episode, and uh, I personally found it to be a very encouraging and inspiring talk. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction of some kind or of unwanted behavior, this is a great episode uh, to listen to. With that, here is today's conversation with Brent and Amanda. Wall. Like you said, how do you say it again? Like a karate, like a what? That's it. Yeah. All right, that's who's with us right now, ladies and gentlemen, Grant and Amanda Wall. Welcome to the Paragol Podcast. Glad that you uh, chose to be here. So we met literally, I think, 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you before, but here you are. Uh, glad that you chose to be with us. Um, Jennifer Tarwater has been on our podcast and um, she reached out to us and said that y'all both have an incredible story. And just like pretty much anybody who comes on the podcast, I don't like to dive into the story a whole lot before because I want to kind of hear it in real time. And so um, just like those listening right now, like I'm going to learn about both of you just in real time. So um, why don't we just start here? I, I know you both are uh, connected with John 316. Y'all live there, is that right? Like on campus at John 316? Yes. Okay. Tell me how you got there. Let's kind of go back a little bit. I know your story obviously involves addiction. Um, so just take me back as far as you want to go to kind of like how you got to where you are today. Whoever wants to start. Well, um, you know, the Bible starts Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning, so I'll do the same. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we'll start it off. My, <laughs> in 2017, my life was trashed. I, I'd thrown everything away. Um you know, if you hear one story, uh, they're all really sad, but the thing is, is there, there was victory in mine. Um, I, I'd heard about a place called John 316 Ministries because it was made right outside of Batesville, Arkansas. I grew up in Batesville, and my mom actually started um, helping out in children's church there in 2006 and visiting a guy named James Ashley, taking him uh, laundry detergent, things like that, stuff mm-hmm. that he needed. And um, she was able to kick her her habits that way, mm. uh, some bad habits she has. And um, she knew that I was going to need a place. I, I was a pretty reckless football playing, make average grades kind of guy. And I didn't apply myself at all with, to anything. And um, And then, you know, my life, I ran it off the tracks. Uh, I ran the train off the tracks. I couldn't get back on. I couldn't get back up. I I, was str- I didn't want to. And this is when you were how old, probably? Um, it started at 21, taking actual uh, prescription pain pills. But before that, I'd started drinking at 15 uh, on the weekends, you know, after after games and whatnot. And just totally like a social type deal, right? Yeah. Friends are doing it. It's just what you do in a small town. Yeah. yeah. And, and it started out small, and then it got to where I, I couldn't I could not do it if I if – I, didn't want to feel sick that day. I would, I would have to do it. I'd have to do something, you know, some sort of whether it's drinking or popping pills. Yeah, anything. And um, anyhow, I, I, uh, I finally, I finally hit my last straw, and uh, I, I intended to, to end my own life, um, and I, I intended intended to do it through an overdose, and and couldn't afford it. 
At how old? At how old were you then? Um, 27. Okay, so for six years, you're in a pretty big addiction. Yeah. What led you to that place of desperation? Like, can you go into some detail there? Because no one just goes from like, yeah, I'm pretty kind of fun-loving dude, just like playing football, drinking the buddies, to mm-hmm. like, I can't, I don't want, I'd be better off dead. Everybody else would be better off without me. Like, what led you to that absolute place of just kind of hopelessness? Years of of shame, guilt, and shame uh, that mm-hmm. I would I'd just build up. I, you know, I felt like I'd really let my family down. I'd got a scholarship to, you know, UACCB in Batesville, and then. Um, transfer scholarship to UCA and then I started taking pain pills and then I lost everything and I was embarrassed Um, I I knew that I was capable of achieving more Uh, I knew that I could I knew that I could and didn't didn't want to work toward it Uh, Mm -hmm. and then with that with that guilt or that shame uh, with that embarrassment uh, I, I tried to medicate and then the, the medication worked at first. I, I, I could, it, it numbed everything and then it became a uh, physical dependency. It wasn't just mental. I, I, I didn't just want it because it made me feel good. I needed it because I, I had to have it or I'd be sick. And then after feeling that way for a prolonged period of time for years, my brain didn't naturally produce dopamine. I, I had to have it through drugs. And so I had deep, depression mm. I had anxiety and I've never been an anxious person uh, but all these things I, I wasn't able to feel normal and in that not able to feel normal uh, and always looking for a pill then I was chasing it like a mouse I, I, I would chase you know whatever it is that I, that I needed or wanted at that time whatever I wanted at that time I would I would go to the end of the earth to find it Mm. And then it just consumed your way of being. Yeah, and then you know, before long, you realize that you're stealing money from your family, and then they don't they don't know how to handle or contain you, and you're a bad influence on your your younger siblings, and 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 yet there you are, um, you know. And and I I didn't want to continue in doing that. I, I knew I was capable of more. Um, I you always, wanted to get out of it, like kind of like it's a big part of it's like I want to get out, but another part like I can't get out, or yeah, nobody likes stealing from their own family, yeah. you know. Um, I, I I don't think, I, I, but in my experience, I, I when I one of my lowest points was I stole my grandma's change jar, and walked to Kroger's to the Coin Star so I could go and buy more prescription medication, mm. and uh, you know I I never got to tell her that I did that or anything, and you know it's just just it's just things that that you experience in life that, um, you, you know that you shouldn't do. You know, because you you were created or you were made and taught better, mm-hmm. um, and that you know. So I, I I finally came to the point where I I knew better and wasn't able to do it on my own. And and I always was taught, well, you can do it, you can do this on your own, you can figure this out. And and I couldn't. And you know, I was I'm a capable person. My my brain works just fine. And then it became too it, it infatuated and obsessed with drugs you know how much do you think and this could be for you or amanda how much do you think shame plays into people's addiction i, I mean that's what that's what keeps you in it um so your your addiction starts in trying to have fun or feel good and then what keeps you in it is the masking the the guilt and shame i mean i i believe that wholeheartedly yeah it just creates this crazy cycle right so you have you, you start doing these things that make you feel shame and then you're doing more things that make you feel shame, and then you're trying to numb your shame, which then leads to even more destructive patterns of behavior, which leads to more shame. It's just a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. It just keeps you in it. So how do you, uh, how does someone break out of that? 
like, do you have, did for you at least, and we'll get to your story eventually, Amanda, like, did you have to hit rock bottom where there was no other option except to get help? Like, like pick me up, like in your story, like you, you came to places that you were suicidal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're still here today, obviously, like what kept you from taking your own life? Well, um, I'll just, I'll just share the worst day of my life with you. Um, and it, it's, it's graphic, you know, just yeah, to so. let you know, um, I'd had about a, a gram of meth, um, that I acquired. Um, I had some heroin and I had some, about a full sheet of acid. And, um, I put that sheet of acid in a, in a spoon and I put the heroin in a spoon and I put the, uh, I put the amphetamine in a spoon and I, and I injected that into my body directly. And the second I did it, um, that, that was in hopes that I wouldn't come back. Mm. Uh, the second I did it, I regretted it and I took off walking to my mom's house Wow, from my, from my dad's house. And at, at that time it was three miles away. In theory that could have killed you how and how much time? I don't know. Uh, I was hoping it would have, I, I would have just fallen asleep, but I didn't have enough of the downers okay. at the time. Um, so you take off walking. So I just took off and, um, you know, I'd, I'd been delusional over the, the past few weeks here, you know, audio hallucinations and, and things like that from staying awake too long. And, um, anyhow, I, I, I take off walking to my mom's house and I told her, I said, I need, I need to get some help. Uh, I, I just hurt myself, I think. And, uh, so we took me to a detox in Batesville or is actually the psych ward. Um, in which I failed a drug test for 13 different narcotics or 12 narcotics out of 13. Wow. Um, you know, all the way from PCP or MDMA, marijuana. I mean, every, every, every drug that I personally know and some I don't know, I failed for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, as I, I got checked in and everything, I was pretty coherent up until that point. But as I got into my first night, I, I, I was coming off anxiety medicine. I, I, I had a, an urge to have something for anxiety. And I was like, look, I need something now. I'm about to freak out. And that's not something you say at a psych ward. So I got, I got hit with Thorazine and, you know, it, that instant knockout, you know. And, and so either one, I'd overdosed on Thorazine in, in the psych ward or – um, you know, the acid was finally starting to cause my spinal fluid to flow backwards into my brain and my brain was losing the ability to breathe and get whatever it needs to continue to survive. And I slipped into a coma. Uh, so I got progressively worse, um, and, and suffered a complete psychological fracture in which I did not know my own name. I couldn't identify Jeez. anybody I knew. I couldn't speak. I, I babbled like a child and, uh, and then it came to the point where I couldn't breathe. Um, and do you remember any of that? I don't, I don't, um, I get, I get glimpses from time to time, um, you know, like getting slammed down by, uh, the, the, in the psych ward all the way to, um, telling, telling them that I understand, um, that they cannot hold me there. Um, you know, you're, you're false imprisoning me and, and it's against my will that I'm here and, uh, and all these things. But I, uh, I, I do remember waking up. Because I, I got so bad that nobody thought I would I would be normal again, and and that Jeez. you know in a way I, I was getting what I wanted, and then um, out of nowhere uh, one day, I believe that I was woken up by an angel. Um, 
I was in the I was in a hospital room and it was dark and I woke up and I looked across the room and I saw my very uh, it's my mom's very best friend and I was like Miss Debbie what are you doing here and she turned around in shock and she said well you're not supposed to be here what how are you able to know who I am I said I've known you for years and uh, so she's like trying to call my mom my mom just stepped away to go eat for like the first time in days and. Uh, and I said, well, I just got woken up by that nurse. And she turned around. And she said, there's no nurse that came in here. I said, no, there's somebody that just woke me up. I know it. Uh, they just walked out of the room. They woke me up. And she said, nobody's in here. You know, nobody came in here. Nobody woke you up. And I said, well, I, they said I'm not supposed to die this way. And I, and I didn't know what I needed to do at that point, but I knew that I wasn't supposed to die a drug addict. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be who I was becoming and who I was making myself. Um, and that was, that was, uh, one of the worst, I don't know how long that was, uh, mm -hmm. time periods of my life, but that, at that, at that time I knew that I had to do something. Mm -hmm. I, I had to make a change because I couldn't, I was smart enough to do it and manipulate and con and get everybody where I looked like the victim. Um, but no matter how much I was the victim and how much they could say, Oh, you're right, Brent. I couldn't stop using that drug, and that that's when I when I lost my mind, um, when I lost the ability to just think. I, I knew that I had to make a change. Wow, that's incredible. So you come out of the uh, you said it's basically this like a psych ward, right? Yeah. And I mean, is at that point are you just like, look, whatever it takes, I'm going to try to get clean. And is that how you then eventually get into John three sixteen, or is there more to the story before you get into rehab. Well, John three sixteen, I'd I'd known about it since two thousand and six when uh when a guy that I'd seen my whole life um finally changed his life. Um he was, you know, just he was the guy that I used to make fun of and be like, Oh that dr that druggie, you know, or, or not I didn't really make fun of him, but nevertheless, you know, I I kinda looked down at him. Sure. Um but he was doing everything it took for him to to not use drugs, you know, and, and that, that, and I always call him like a Jesus freak, mm. you know, cause he, he went from being Tater to James Ashley, mm. uh, the guy at John three sixteen that tells everybody Jesus loves you, uh, you know, and, uh, but John three sixteen was never, and it was the end of the road for me. If I, if I had to go to John three sixteen, somebody like me, um, well, I'd, I'd completely crash my life cause I'd never go there. Ah. Uh, that's how I viewed it. Yeah. Um, so, so even when, though you're in the middle of your addiction, you're still like, I'm better than that. Oh yeah. I'm better than that. Yeah. That, but that's always, that's for the really messed up people. <laughs> yeah. And then I became that guy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, my mom had always explained John three sixteen to me. She's like, oh, I know this guy named Nolan deal. You, you know, you ought, you'd really like him, you know, you should go out there and, and see what it's about. Or you already know James Ashley, you've known him your whole life. And, uh, you should go out and see what it's about. And, I didn't grow up in church. You know, my, my family was not a church going family. Um, things like that. Jesus wasn't talked about at our house. You know, the reason for the season of Christmas was me to get some gifts, you know, uh, and we didn't, there was no prayer at the house. I, I, but every time I'd stay at a friend's house on a Saturday night that did go to church, it, like Steven Anderson, his mom, Glenita, for instance, like if, if I stayed the night on Saturday, I go to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And that, that that seed was planted. But growing up my whole life, like I, I didn't receive salvation, so I didn't believe. 
in anything. Um, you know, oh, those guys talk about Jesus outside of Walmart. That's not me. Sure. You yep. know, so I, I would always just be like, I, I'm not going to panhandle outside of a Walmart, you know. Yeah. Um, so not only are you a little bit like, you know, reserved when it comes to just rehab, but also like, you know, I guess Christ center or whatever you want to uh, say at rehabs, right? Faith-based rehabs. You're like, that's a double whammy. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the funny thing is, is, you know, he resists the, the Resist the proud favors the humble. Mm-hmm. Um, I was proud and got resisted till I was humbled. Mm. Uh, and then I found myself not just not just knowing I needed help, but asking, um, I, willing to do whatever it takes to get help um, because I knew I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't. I would, I would wreck my life. I would. I would, obviously I would die for it. Yeah. Um, so, what year did you go into John three? Two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen, and then. How does that work? For those that don't know, um, there's an intake process, right? Where they're basically trying to look, and I guess you're trying to figure out, like, does this person truly want to change? Is that basically what intake's about? Yeah, um, which we have to trust the process on it because it seems strange. But um, first, it starts with a phone call. Uh, you call the, the ministry, and then you do a screening, you know, whether or not you'd be a good fit for us or we're a good fit for you, you know. Um, it works. It's a two-way street. Um, but after that point, it becomes a one-way you know, you can, you volunteer to be here. You don't have to be. Uh, so, you know, you got to do what we ask you to do or you don't have to be here. Um, but that being said, we've, we've helped two, over 2000 guys now. Correct. And, um, so the way. And that, you were the thousandth to graduate. Yeah. I got to be the thousandth well, graduate. Cool. Yeah. And, um, got the, got my diploma from the governor, um, Asa Hutchinson. Wow. Um, so it was really neat. Um, but the interview process, you come on a Sunday, sit through service, and you'll sit and talk with someone just like me um, that has wrecked their lives and uh, but did whatever it took to graduate the ministry. Um, in that, in me knowing where you're at um, on your worst day, trying to get help, um, it's an easy way to cut through all the stuff and mm-hmm. get honest. Yes. Um, and that's, that's what the parents don't, uh, at times, don't understand. But sometimes if, if the mom or dad or... The wife knows exactly what that man's been doing. It's easy. Oh, he's lying to you right now, you know, kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, at times just to get just to get a guy honest, um, he has to honestly know that he yeah. he's he's broken. Dude, honesty's huge, man. Yeah. Like I we've I've worked with quite a few addicts over the years just because of the nature of my job, and it's that honesty is. A huge indicator, like, is someone going to be, is it a full, clean confession of kind of like, yeah, here it is. Like, I'm not trying to impress you anymore. Like, it's just, here's my all my cards. There's such a difference in how that person turns out versus the one that's even giving you, like, here's 99% of it. Like, yeah. even 99%, like, if you can't give the full, clean 100%, like, here I am, you know. Right. It's just so hard to see that person change. Right. Um, so, I know that you two eventually met. I want to talk about you a little bit, Amanda, like, you come through the program. You graduated what year? To, uh, January of 2018. And you're at the Turtle Creek Mall. That's how y'all met, right? Yeah. That's and right. you're, was it with John 316? I was. I was in a red shirt and everything, selling tickets uh, like the Jesus freaks outside of Walmart. Uh, the, <laughs> the, guy, the person you never thought you'd be. Oh, yeah. And I love I'm now that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm, I thought I was good at it. I am pretty good at it, I feel like at times. but So you're there and you're talking about John 316? Is that basically what y'all are doing? Yeah. And then y'all running each other. Well, yeah, 
some some backstory to that. Her her dad's the director of the ministry oh, and started really? the founder and director. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, Brian. And so we, me and my dad would Christmas shop every year, and I had um, shopped several stores and had a lot of bags. And Brent asked my dad if he could help me carry those. But they the they car. weren't walking together though. She was like three or four stores ahead of him. Yeah. So anyhow, she she walks out. But I I don't want to hijack. So the you story. knew her. So I didn't know she was. That's why, that's why I love these uh, conversations. You find all this kind of stuff out in real time, and you're just like, I didn't know. So your dad started John 316? Did yes. I hear that right? Yes. Okay. So when you were how old, your dad started it? Um, I was three. Okay, three. So you've been around this your whole life. Yes, I did um, live with my mom primarily. Okay. Um, her and my dad divorced when I was two. Okay. So um, I lived with her, but I went to my dad's every other weekend. Until I was about 13 years old, and then I did live with him. So you grow up, and you clearly know about the dangers of addiction. and Or at least, like, that's what's being talked about. I mean, you're being exposed. You see it, in, like, you know, happening in your life. People's lives being destroyed by addiction. I'm guessing, like, did your dad come out of addiction? Is that he part did. of Okay, yeah. So that's usually how that works, right? I guess most people who start rehabs themselves have been impacted by rehab somewhere along the way or saw the need for it. And so... You're aware of just drug abuse, addiction, all of that, what it can do. Tell me your story. Like, how did you end up falling into addiction yourself? Well, um, so like I said, I live with my mom. And, yeah, I did go um, at John 316. I was just, you know, obviously I'm a girl and out mm-hmm. there is just guys. Yep. So I didn't, I was kind of, I wasn't just right in the middle of things. Um, so I didn't, you know, now I'm a lady and now that I've been to a ladies ministry, you know, and know what it's like to have a real one-on-one heartfelt conversation, but there wasn't a lot of that at John 316 when I lived there cause I was a young girl. Sure. So I didn't, um, didn't even, didn't get that closeness. Okay. Yep. Um, so, you know, you could look at it and say, oh, you grew up there, you know, about addiction and you, well, it really wasn't like that for me. Yep. Um, you know, I got to see now James Ashley, he always told me Jesus loves you. And I knew like about big events happening and, um, and, and heard, but I just minimized it. Like maybe I was around it so much Uh, that I didn't, you know, it's like, oh, okay. You know, even today, a little bit desensitized to it in some ways. Desensitized. Yes. That's the word. Um, so my story is I have three older brothers and, um, they partied at my house. And um, so that's kind of how I got introduced um, to drugs and alcohol and got away with it. Um, when you were how old? When I was, I want to, I mean, definitely when I was 13, I had drank alcohol. And, um, and then my stepdad bought alcohol for me around that age, too. Mm. And um, we mentioned shame earlier. So definitely started with alcohol and cigarettes and um, and just being around, you know, to see my brother party when you're younger, you always think you're people older than you're cool and oh, yeah. you want to be like them. And, you know, I wanted to be with them yeah. and I wanted to be like those girls that they were with and they drank. So, of course, I wanted to drink. I wanted mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And then um, when my mom got married to my new stepdad, that was a chaotic situation in my life. And um, and then he bought it for me. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, and my mom's life, she had gotten married to this man, and there was just a lot of change for me because um, she wasn't married, and then she was. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that just brought, I think that stirred up some stuff in me after I'd already gotten a taste for alcohol, and yeah. then when something disrupted my life and my routine, then I wanted control. Yeah. Yeah. So you think that's because so much of your life felt chaotic that you're like, that's just one area that yes. you could control some things. Yes. Yeah. And then rather than being protected, you're being enabled by someone who's there to, right. there to protect you. And so you then, you said you started with alcohol, eventually moved to drugs. So you're doing that in your teenage years. At what point did it become like full blown addiction for you? Um, so my story, I, I don't, I want to go back to the shame, which yeah. you mentioned, yeah. because like we talked about, shame keeps you in addiction. Yes. And, um, so when I was about 15, I would say I got in my first same sex relationship. Mm-hmm. And then after that, an eating disorder started wow. and then cutting myself started so that Jeez. you know you mentioned that earlier about shame yeah, and I yeah. thought about my story and yeah. and just how like shame on shame on shame you know oh, you know just absolutely. packing it on like you look think about a, a bandage or something just being bandaged up with shame did you feel like like at that time in your life did you have anybody you could talk to about that stuff uh, like in a way that you felt like I could talk to it and not be condemned no, there was a lady that I really, really admired, and um, I went to church with her because I was raised in church, and um, but she just, she was so healthy, and you know, I, I wouldn't, I didn't share that, I covered that part of me up, and then my mom was in a mess, and um, my dad, I, we didn't have that, the relationship like we do today, um, so no, I, I wasn't just, yeah. you know. Yeah. Didn't have that relationship with. When you look back at that part of you, um, he said you were in the same sex uh, relationship. You were cutting, which typically, and you may disagree with this. Like, and so, like, I definitely would love to hear your opinion on it. Like, usually, when you think of cutting, I've talked about this before. Like, when someone is uh, imposing violence on something outside, it's like they think the world's the problem. But whenever it's violence inside, they think I'm the problem. Like something's wrong with me in yes. some ways, and so like which is uh, 1% tied in with shame, right? Shame is very much like, the way I explain, by the way, the difference between guilt and shame is, guilt's like, I've done something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Right. You know, guilt is like, I've done something wrong. Shame's like, I am wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's a, it's an identity statement. So guilt is like a stain on a t-shirt, but shame's like a disfigured face. Like, there's nothing I can really do about it, right? And so right. it's like, it's a really big deal. So like you're, when you look back at that version of yourself, um, that girl, you said you're 15 mm-hmm. by the time you're in that relationship and, and you're cutting, um, the eating disorder. What do you feel about that part of yourself? Like when you look back, it may kind of be kind of a strange question, but when you look back at that girl, like what's your feelings towards her now? Like, or what's your thoughts about her now that you're on this side? And maybe you've never thought about it. You're like, I have no idea. That is a good question. Um, and what's my thoughts about her is that um, I'm just thankful for what the Lord's done in my life because I was just covering somebody up yeah. um, because I um, I didn't know how to deal with the chaos. And um, 
you you said something earlier and it made me think about confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed and that confession and how important that is to just be honest with somebody and if I would have felt like I could have talked to somebody then I think I would have been embraced in a warm way but I think about that girl and I someone told me once his name's Randy Willingham he said he called me soft Amanda like the me that I I was before I covered all that up like your soft side Mm. and then you know you know that warmth so I just think of like cold um because you're you're putting something off you're not taking anything in yeah um and I think I would have been embraced you know um well the reason I asked that is I feel like I I love that you were able to talk about that without me bringing it up you know it's like I never try to pull anything out of anybody they don't they're not willing to give and I love that you offered that up I think it's very healthy and the reason I say that is because I think sometimes when we look back at these versions of ourselves that was walking a ton of shame or did something really shameful or embarrassing is we're still embarrassed of that part of us. And we want to do whatever we can to like keep that part of us like not a part of us at all. Like out of our story, don't ever talk about it, don't ever mention it. And I think that, that that's actually like not what Jesus would do. I think like Jesus had a ton of compassion on that girl and I think therefore if Jesus had compassion on that version of you like it's important for you to have compassion on that version of you and so like I like I I think about this girl and like I hear your story and I feel a lot of sorrow because I think of a girl who probably like you you weren't really protected and the fact that you had a stepdad is providing stuff for you and you're going through this chaotic time your brain's not even fully developed yet right like the brain's not even fully developed for a man until about 27 for a woman 25 you've got all these hormones that are now firing other chemicals going off in your body and you're trying to figure out like who am i you know what is my purpose and like you're making these terrible decisions but it's like if you looked back at that girl and and a lot of times like you look back at that younger version of ourselves like they kind of were trying to do the best they knew how to do to survive does that make sense? Yes. And so it's like one of the questions that, that I've learned to ask years ago when someone gets into addiction is like the question is never like why the addiction, but why the pain? You know, like what what hurts you? Like where did you experience pain? Where did you experience hurt? And so like the more we can talk about these things, I guess just my point, and I'll shut up and let you get back to your story, but the more that we can talk about these things openly, like both of y'all have done so far, I think like the better it's going to be. So like I love – that both of you have offered this information up. That's why I just want to pause for a moment and bring this up. Because I think whoever's listening to this, like, I just want to say, like, be open with your story. Like, be willing to share it. Because when you can bring this stuff out, and we talk about these parts that were kind of like, oh, I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed of that maybe now. Like, the more you can do that, the more you're going to be freed yeah. from right. the shame, yes. which is what creates the addiction. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> sermon over, I guess. Yeah. Um, pick me up from there. So, like you said, you have all this stuff going on in your life, you're, you know, mid-teen, what happens from there? You're living in shame, you've got the same sex attraction going on, a relationship that you got going on, the cutting, the, uh, you said, what else, the eating disorder. Yes, and I wound up moving out of my dad's house. It was during the summer, and I was about 16, um, so it was during the summer, so I just went and stayed with a friend over the course of the summer, and then I just never came back home at my dad's and I wound up going to Newark and staying with Mm. her and her parents and um and they were drug addicts and so Mm. actually on meth Mm. and um and so um then her dad started 
getting anything I needed, just like my stepdad taking me to the alcohol store. He um, smoked weed. He had pills. So um, that just enabled my addiction further. And um, I wound up getting my own apartment when I was, um, I want to say, I didn't, my dad signed for my apartment, so I don't, I wasn't old enough to sign for it. So um, probably around 17. Um, and I lived there for a couple of years and um, wound up getting drug out of my apartment in handcuffs oh because my. that guy that I mentioned that I lived with and he was a drug addict, um, I had stabbed him, I guess. <laughs> I'm I'm like Brent's on his story, you blacked out. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember exactly, but I just know I had kind of gotten a little afraid of him mm-hmm. um, and, um, and I just wanted him out of my life. And, um, and so... I got drug out of my apartment in handcuffs, not for necessarily hurting him. I don't know that I even really hurt him. I'm not sure. But just because I was just yelling at the police mm-hmm. um, and just acting foolish. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I had gotten a DWI before that, about six months before that, a DWI, I wrecked my truck. and um, You met I'd, me in a mall right before that. Yes, What'd I did. She, she met me in a mall right before that. Yeah, I did, because I went to Drawn 317 in uh, February, and I met Brent in November. And so I had gotten drug out of my apartment. This is like when he helped carry stuff out of the uh-huh. mall? Okay. In November, and then um, got drug out of my apartment later in January and had to spend six nights in jail. And um, Brent also, yeah, I need to tell this part, he... um. he asked my dad if he could write me letters and stuff. And mm. so I was in same-sex addiction attraction whatever and so i i didn't have a very feminine wardrobe and i'm already um just not a real girly girl i like (laughs) to be comfortable and um and so he invited me to to church for you know my dad's also there so there's that dynamic and um i didn't go out there um, I just wanted to be in the dark, but he invited me and I was looking at a letter and I just felt so far away. Like I remember sitting on the floor of my apartment and I just felt so far away, like from who I needed to be, the girl that he was calling to come, she was so far away. Mm-hmm. And, and then looking at I, my closet was right in front of me from where I was sitting when I was reading that. I don't have anything to wear, you know? I'm not, you know, I just, I just felt like I, I guess I needed to clean up. And, and also, like I mentioned earlier, I had, when you asked, well, what about that girl? What do you feel about her? And just cold and I just covered things up. Um, and so I, I had covered up who I really was. And, and I, I knew that I needed to give him that part of me. And that's what he was asking for. Um, so he's not why I went to John 317, but um but going to John 317 and putting Jesus first and um and putting myself on the table to Jesus and then I could give myself to him. What did you like were, were you physically attracted to her at that point like in like in a romantic type way or were you just like it was it different than that? Was it friendship? Was it both? Was it like some sort of just you just almost have like a spiritual deal where you're just like, I just feel like, man, like honestly, like God just gave me a heart for her. Like what was going on in your mind at that point? Well, um, 
I come from a, a sales background. It's kind of a, a thing. I, I, I sold women's shoes and things like that. Dude, me too, by the way. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. One of the worst jobs Dillard's? I've had in my life. Uh, Belk. Belk. Okay, yes. Yeah. I, I was at Dillard's. and so a lot of size nine narrows to older women. <laughs> but this yeah. isn't about me. It's about you. Right. Well, um, so she walked out of a store. It was a gearhead at the time. Um, I'm standing in this octagon carpet area that I'm not allowed to leave. Kind of, it's like my <laughs> invisible fence. And, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the thing about Amanda, she, I, I had no clue that it was my director's daughter uh, at the time. <laughs> um, he wasn't anywhere near. She walked out of Gearhead, and I, and I just saw her. Um, I knew the background I came from, and I smiled so big. And I was just like, oh, I, I, I'm going to talk to her, you know. And uh, it, it was it was something that I seen. Her hair was about the length mine is at mm. the time. Uh, she's wearing Sperry shoes, pair of blue jeans, and a green pullover, uh, quarter zip. And uh, and she just walked out, and she said, what are you smiling at? So I get an opportunity to tell you about what's going on. I had no idea she knew John 316 Ministries. I'm sitting in a John 316 red T-shirt, you know, standing there in the mall. Uh, I had no clue, you know, any of that. I said, but I, I, I need to talk to you about what we got what, what we got going on. This place changed my life. You know, it's not – I'm not just trying to make 10 bucks because the money doesn't go to me. It goes to a catfish fry. Um but here about it's more about an opportunity to help keep this place free for guys like me who's who's crashed and, and burned and so at that point you're just like sharing with her about the ministry absolutely uh, but but I told her that uh, you know I was I was glad to get to meet her I was excited about it too and I'm in it and then um, you did know, you tell him who you were like look know. dude you can save the spiel my dad started it yeah um, actually um, I think you did. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. but, but it didn't stop me you know? yeah. uh, it was after I'd kind of we kind of already initiated that that talk and um or the conversation and anyhow she, she's like well I got stuff to do I was like okay we well, go go handle it you know uh have a good day and and uh if you get if you want you know I'll be here all day you know I, I'm I'm there from open before open until close and um for six days a week at that time. And, uh, and then Brian walks up and he's like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Uh, Nothing. I I think I just met your daughter. He said, Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, she has a lot of bags in her hand. Do you think I could go help her? He's like, he just looks at me, you know, he's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Go help her. Go help her. And so I asked her, you know, I I took off running down the mall to find her. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to help you, you know, at this point. And she's like, is your motive at this point? Like maybe I can build a relationship with this girl. I have no idea. Okay. All right. I, I, I knew at that time that I could see who she could be. Really? I felt it. What did you see? I saw somebody that was like me. Um, I don't know. You know, I, it was it was super. It, it was a, it was just an opportunity for me to share the realness that that that, that I experienced. Huh. Um, at the same time. You know, just somebody that was willing to listen to me for just a second and then, then not just throw it back in my face, you know. And uh, somebody that had a, a, a needed to be served. Um, I, I don't know, uh, you know, but I was I was Either willing. Way, you're running after. I was willing to figure it out, you yeah. know, um, and, and, and do exactly that. You know, I, I got excited because I knew, well, that's that's not who you're created to be. Um, mm. 
So I, at the same time, I, and I can identify with that because I, I lived in that myself. Yeah. Is that part of it you think of like you recognized pain in her? Maybe like, so, yeah. Like, like, I know that look and those eyes and that's someone who's searching for more mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you go after you then, do y'all start like catch me up? Like so, you're, okay, you're so I run, now, I run like, after uh, in the mall, find her. Uh, I teach her about strategic placement. I, I doubt she remembers this because um, I teach her about strategic placement. In, in the truck and how to get all this stuff. She had like this huge globe and all kinds of stuff to fit in an extended like cab, that. extended cab truck. I was like, it's all about strategic place when I'm trying to make myself sound cool, you know? And <laughs> anyhow, she's like, hey, whatever. Just I'm sure it sounded really cool. Oh yeah. So but I'm, I'm putting <laughs> this, this is the cool sky I've ever met in my life. Completely. Uh, I was going to say Jenga, but what's the Tetris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Tetris that truck up. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, it just took one block and, and it would, it, it all disappeared, you know? So, <laughs> Um, had the scooter seat up. Anyhow, I told her, I said, look, we have, we have service every Sunday. And she's like, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, I said, but I'm, I'm telling you this, I'm inviting you, you know, it's not go sit with your dad. You're going to come sit with me and you're going to sit through a service, you know? And, um, she said, well, I'll think about it, you know? Uh, and then that's, that's where the conversation. What were you thinking at that point? Were you just like. Did you did you feel like this guy's hitting on me? Like he's like, or you were you just like? I don't have too many thoughts, um, just because I was in my addiction, so I was okay on some chill pills. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I know that Brent still teaches me stuff and still puts things in the car really well and still does. <laughs> I still let him do all that. He's Consistency. Good. When what what year was this? You say probably 2017. Okay, November. So did you go? And sit with him? No. No, no. That's that's uh, when I earlier Oh, that's I said, right. You were still, like, definitely in the middle of it. Yes, I was sitting on the floor reading his letter because after that we wrote. He wrote me letters, and I think I might have written him one or two back. And, um, one. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, just, I just couldn't go. I wanted to, but I just couldn't. Did you, like... Were you into him at that point? Like, I, I'm trying to like tie that. I mean, like, well, we're thinking like, hey, I'm somewhat. Let me back up to another moment. Um, there was a moment that I was like, I was riding around with my dad in the car. Uh-huh. And I don't know if this was before. Early residency. This I, was I just got way there. before the mall thing. Okay. And we're riding around in the car, me and my dad. And I see someone and I'm like, who's that guy? Okay. And it was Brent, turns out. Okay. And um, so then I got to meet She had her Brent. eye on you before you had drawn her. Didn't man. even know it. Yeah. We also share a story uh, that I feel like that we had met before I went to the ministry, but I was in one of my blackout periods, and uh, I feel like I kicked her out of my house one night. Um, what? We were having a house party. I got spun out real bad and started uh, just just asking people questions and she's she's like yeah my, my dad runs john three sixteen, and i was like who uh you need to leave yeah that's those wacko people that talk <laughs> yeah. about jesus and i had that. to walk home to my apartment yeah so, <laughs> really yeah yeah that, that, but i don't remember it you know i i, I remember oh, you're thinking somebody that happened I, I can barely remember that too but i remember walking home to my apartment and calling somebody right after he kicked me out yeah <laughs> 
I just freaked him out. I kicked a lot of people out of my house back in in that time. It's just because I didn't, you know, you don't need to be here. This is a terrible place. (laughs) Yeah. But in the mall, I would say I was just kind of sleepwalking. So Mm. uh, that's to answer your question. Mm. I was just, I was just sleepwalking. So how long did like, when was your waking up period? If you're just like going through life, just like sleepwalking, like when did you actually wake up? When I was in jail for six nights in a cell by myself after I had gotten drug out of my apartment in handcuffs. And is that the point when you knew, yeah, I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to rehab? Yes, because you asked earlier if there was anybody when I was younger and dealing with the cutting and the eating disorder that I could just really talk to. Well, when I was in jail, there was a lady, she shares my name, Amanda, and um, she had had similar struggles as me. And... um, and so I got healing, and the whole time I was in my addiction, I knew I was running from God because um, my mom had her tubes untied just to have me, wow. and there was only a 50% chance that she would be able to have a baby, and she felt like all her life she would have a girl because she'd only had boys, and um, so I knew that I was God's, mm. and I, I just wanted to feed my flesh. I just didn't want to surrender, you know, that control. What, when you said that you got healing when you are in prison, what do you mean by that when you're talking to this woman named Amanda? So she had struggled with the same-sex attraction, right. and so I just got healing because I just felt freedom, the shame. The shame was lifted. Wow. Because she you think was just by a, talking about a follower. It? Yes, yes. Dang. And just also being in a place of brokenness. You know, she was, um, she was who God sent to me because for such a time as this. And, um... And I'm glad that I, you know, went to jail and you talk to anybody who's in recovery and they're glad for whatever caused them to get to where they're at, to get to that bottom. Because I, I was, God was chasing me down because yeah. I was his. So then you went into rehab what year for you? Um, February 3rd, 2018. Yeah, 2018. My Bam. And he got to what pray with me the day before we left, so... And then back in John three seventeen, back then you got home trips every three months, and um, I got to come home to John three sixteen, and um, I would get to see Brent and date night, see him date at fundraisers night. and stuff. <laughs> you also had a date in two thousand eighteen? Uh, not re- I mean, kind of. Yeah, we well, got we got to go out to dinner a few times. We got we went and ate at Doe's in Jonesboro. Just and that was just our things first fancy. Date. Yeah. When so, did y'all get married? In May fifteenth of two thousand and twenty. May 15th, 2021. 21. 21. 21. 21. Sorry. It's okay. May 15th, 2021. Awesome. So been married a little over two years now. How's that math, Chris? You're really good at that math. Thank you Jared. very much. Chris <laughs> is actually really good at math. Tell me this. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank both you. Both of you. Uh, incredible story. Like, so good that I'm trying to think, like, which thread do I want to pull because there's so much behind so much what you just said. And so... I think where I want to start is um, tell me this. Well, first off, y'all live at you live on campus right now, right? John three sixteen. Correct. What made you decide to stay there and live there? Well, I mean, it started for me um, as a calling to be able to help guys like myself. Um, I know that if I if 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 it worked for me, it could work for someone else. If, if and uh and i and i wanted to pass that on um you know uh so what is it about the program that works what do y'all think well jesus you know i i I will say the place 
is just a place. The buildings are just buildings without the the Jesus working in the men there. Uh, the place is is empty. Um, so you feel like it's just literally a space or a place where you create space for people to meet with Jesus. Yes, uh, they don't have bills to worry about. You know, that's for the instructors and the director. You're just trying to remove all the distractions of like the world, the things that no like cell be- phones, no, no, nothing that, uh, with internet access. The only way to communicate with your family is through writing or on Sunday services. After a one month blackout period, you can have visitors one day uh, on Sundays uh, from one to three. Uh, but they set through service with you. So it's basically a visit from 10 to three, um, you know, and, and, and yeah. And you're just like, I'm going to stay there and help others the way I've been helped. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I, I, was that seen, a tough decision for y'all? You had to make that decision together, obviously. Well, right? yeah. Well, we, um, we stayed at John three sixteen. So I, um, I was single. I was not dating Brent and, um, I had lived in a, little house we call the bungalow behind my dad's house and um and then I I got to move into an instructor house where because there's a a married side of camp and one of those houses had opened up and so I got to move in there and I was single when I moved in there and we got married a little after that and then now we live there together and is the plan to stay there as long as you can yes uh until until I feel until I know that I'm being called somewhere else. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, uh, to stay there, um, and establish some roots. Um, you know, I, I know that, that my story can give hope to a guy that was like me because I'd saw, I'd seen in in my own life. Uh, the reason I wanted to stay is because there were instructors that made that life look attractive to me it looked mm. good I, I'd, I'd went to business school I'd done some things I'd, I'd worked my way up to assistant manager and some different things and that literally meant nothing to me but I saw guys that had thrown their lives uh, away essentially pick their pick a life back up and create something they have a they have a home they have uh, kids in their home they have a fence they have a house uh, mm. you know and and then that's what that's what drew me to stay you know it's I, I don't want to just be an instructor. I want to be the best one. And, mm. and to do that, you become a married instructor because that that's an even smaller elite group. You know, instead of just 30, there's, you know, six yeah. um, married instructors or seven married instructors houses. And I was like, well, I want to, I want to be the best one that's ever been at John three sixteen. And, and then it became, you know, it's not just really that selfish ambition. It's, I, I just want to help lead as many people to Christ as I can uh, by living an attractive life, you know, like, like Titus did in the Bible. He, he's they make the gospel look good or make yeah. Christianity look good to make being off drugs and alcohol look good. Um, and then it, be, you know, it means a whole lot more than just that skin deep vision into it. But that's all I had whenever I got to John three sixteen was, well, I, I can only see what people do or how they live or the truck they drive and the clothes they wore. Uh, yes. And then it becomes something completely, you know, uh, the, the things, the, the, the way you're able to, to sew into a guy or the way that you're able to reach into a guy and just just help him let go of, of the pain uh, that, that he is holding on to yeah. um, to help him, you know, uh, to, to stay at John 316. You have to do that. Uh, you get to do that. And, uh, and you have to, you get to do all those things just to, and you get to live in the home. I mean, you get to have the dog, you get to have the wife, you get to, you have, but but without, without 
Jesus in the middle of it, I wouldn't have any of that. Without sure. without the healing that I received, I wouldn't have had any of that. Without Landon and Allen and Lance Douglas and those guys that I'd looked up to as a resident, um, I would have never decided to stay. Yeah. Um, but now it's it's become you know a, a a drive of mine to do anything and everything I can to help more people understand that you don't have to live that way. One of the one of the ways, obviously, you're going to be able to help people, both of you, is as you continue to help yourselves, right? And so, like we were talking about, even before we recorded, and I won't mention anybody's name, but just there's people that fall back in addiction, right? And sometimes over and over and over and over. And I, I'm curious for y'all, both of y'all, this could be for you, Amanda or Brent, like how do you continue to work on your own sobriety, your own health, right? It's like you said, I've received healing, mm-hmm. you know, and I think... Like, I can look at my life. Like, I've got a passive addiction as well. And so, like, I I can look at um, I can look at certain areas of my life where I'm like, God miraculously delivered me from that. Like, it's truly not an issue anymore. Like, it's not an issue at all. And then there's other areas where it's like, this, guy, this, is, this has stayed with me. And it's mm-hmm. just a constant fight. And it's a constant battle. And as far as I know, it might be for the rest of my life. Like, I'm sure that's true of, of y'all in some capacity. Um, so, what does that look like? for y'all I'm curious this is just for me like what does it look like to continue to care for yourselves and to get the help that you need to not be one of those statistics right of like oh they did so well for two years and then they're right back in their mess you know or whatever it may be does that make sense what I'm asking yes I think for me and um me and Brent have both never looked back so we're good people to ask that question too um as anytime I've had a real crisis, I feel like I have reached out to people for counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned Randy Willingham earlier. Um, he's an essential part of my recovery. There's another lady, Karen Jones. Um, even sometimes, at times, my dad, um, whenever me and Brent have talked to him in the past, um, you know, just reaching out to people that are our mentors. That's great. And um, also for me, I like to run, and um, oh, I found found my love for that when I was in John three seventeen, and right as soon as I got out, I joined a women can run club, and um, it was structured, and so it gave me something to go to, and I just thrived in that, and I've not stopped except for when I was twenty six weeks pregnant, I couldn't run anymore because <laughs> it was giving me a pain, and my doctor said you better just walk, and so. Um, my whole time in recovery running is definitely, that's an outlet for me. That's good. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sure you have a question. I don't have a question. Okay. Chris, Are you I'm, running St. Jude's? Uh, I knew there was, <laughs> no. knew there was at least one question. Chris is a big runner. Okay. And so. I don't look like it. But. We are, we're trying to get uh, one of our staff members into running. Hey, so she it. ran .95 miles. We were, that was that. And, uh, I know, but her goal was a 12-minute mile. She made it .95 and it was her first one. How long did she say it had been since she ran? Twenty Fifth grade. Twenty years yeah. since she ran. Wow. You got to yeah. start somewhere. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. I was so proud of her. Yeah, I yeah. was very proud of her, too. It was our fault, really, because we, oh, like, yeah. started her out. Yeah. She was like, I'm good, I'm good, and wasn't good. And I get drug into 5Ks all the time. Do you like, really? Yeah, she'll do the, the longer runs and, and actually compete, and, you know, Finishing the top three list and stuff like that. And then I'm awesome. like, finish your medal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Signed up for one next weekend. Yeah. Next you weekend. signed up for one or you signed him up for one? We're both signed up, but I might just give him the hoodie. 
I hope my <laughs> wife doesn't listen to this because she runs a lot more than I do, and she keeps saying, like, hey, you want to do this race with me? And I'm like, ah, I'll get the next one. She's going to hear this and be like, why can't you be more like Brent? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, what's your longest run? Half marathon. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Actually, you one time I went the wrong way, and I think I did like 15 and a half miles. <laughs> but that's been, that's I've, awesome. I've had a baby since then, so I'm building back up to six miles is what I got under my belt so far. Man, well, that's good. That we eat it. I'm glad that you enjoy running. I'm glad you have found a healthy habit, something yeah. that yes. you can fill your life with. What you're talking about is, I think, super underrated, and I don't. hopefully y'all talk about it, John 316. I think a lot of ministries don't and churches don't, which is the idea of like you can't separate your – Mental health, physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, like it's all tied together. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's That's like right. physically, like if you're not feeling well and you're not getting exercise, like you're probably not going to feel that great emotionally. And therefore, it's going to be really hard to feel good spiritually, relationally, right? Like it's just all connected together. Yes. And I'm actually a health coach. I forgot to mention that. You're a health earlier. coach. That's excellent. So Tell I get what to that meet means. with ladies one on one, and I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So it deals with your primary foods, which is just what you mentioned almost: your career, your physical activity, your spiritual, your spirituality, um, relationships. So if someone's listening to this and they're not healthy, like what are just some basic things that you're like? Okay, here's some basic decisions that you can make or actions you can put into your life this week that will help you move towards becoming a healthy person? What would you say? Drink more water and cook at home. Drink more water. Cook. That's good. So as we both drink our water. <laughs> one, one thing that I learned from her is uh, don't j- try to take all the bad stuff out. Just try to add something good in. And that's what I, that's what I try to do. And then eventually the bad stuff will work itself out or time, you know, but <laughs> resets the I'm, appetites probably. Yeah, right? I'm a remedial learner. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, so I just like to add the good stuff in, you know, when it's convenient. Dude, dieting is so, so. hard, man. It's like my brother uh, owns a gym here in town, and so he'll talk about how people, they come in a lot, and they're like, I want six-pack abs. What exercise do I need to do for six-pack abs? Eating. He's like, they'll just be like crushing. He's like, they probably have six-pack abs underneath all of this, but they just won't like, they're like, they can't control their diet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like they'll do thousands of crunches, no problem, but it's like, I can't get out the Twinkies. I'm, I'm the worst client <laughs> that she has, I'm pretty sure. Oh man, it's been uh, it's been really good getting to hear your story. Like I really am so impressed by um, your level of vulnerability. And I, I don't know, y'all probably are already aware of that, but and you probably hear it from other people that say the same thing. But I just want to encourage you to keep leaning into that. I think that is so incredibly underrated um, when it comes to recovery of, of any kind. Um, it's something we've been trying to work on a lot here. Even those who listen to this podcast probably know that I'm a, a pastor is kind of my day job. And so we talk a lot about how the church needs to be a safe space for wounded sinners, you know, um, that it needs to be a space for people who carry trauma and transgressions. Uh, we've all sinned and we've all been sinned against. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, We've got, and when we say we want to create a safe space for wounded sinners, what we mean is a safe space where people can take off the mask and just be completely honest. Because I'm convinced, like, confession is so good for the soul. And like you said, you go back to the healing in prison, it's like, what happened? Confession in a space, a safe space where someone held your story with empathy and curiosity and compassion. And all of a sudden, that story of shame, which you've been telling yourself, is like, something's really, really, really wrong with me. I'm really, really, really jacked up. I suck. I'm a terrible person. Like all that's brought into the light and it's just like, it cuts the shame off. 
And now you're free to be able to blossom, to flourish, to become who you saw her being, mm-hmm. you know? So just want to encourage y'all to keep doing that. Um, for those who may be listening to this, I guess we'll end here before we go to rapid fire questions that might be in addiction right now. Um, or just struggling. Like, man, there's just an area in their life of unwanted behavior. They wish they could change and they've not been able to change it. Any encouragement you'd give to them? I would just say call call John three sixteen or call John three sixteen wings if you want to change. Mm-hmm. And for those who maybe aren't quite ready to make the phone call yet, maybe they felt they've not got to that space. Anything you'd say to them? Listen to your mom. You know, um, mm. the people around you that 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 are trying to help you. There's a reason they don't want to just want to make you. Uh, feel like you're wrong Uh, they just want to help teach you um, be teachable Mm. um, and humble yourself you know it's good well there's so much more we could talk about but for the sake of time we'll move into some rapid fire questions are you all ready for it so what we'll do anytime we have uh, a couple different people on we'll start first question with you then go to you and then we'll start with you then go to you okay you ready for this all right what is the last, starting with you, Brant, last show or movie you watched or last book that you read? If you can pick from any of those. I'm currently in the middle of um, SEAL Teams on Amazon Prime. Excellent. I have, uh, yeah, I won't go into all the book and stuff. I'm about to start a Lone Survivor yeah. uh, book. Very good. What about you? With the With a book. Oh, yeah, or a movie or show, whichever one you want to go with. Um, I'm reading a parenting book right now. Which one? You remember the name of it? Oh, I don't. See, that's the way I am with books, too. Yeah. It's like a lot of times it's like, I'll tell someone I'm reading a book. They're like, what's the title? I'm like, I can't remember. I'm like, well, I promise. As God is my witness, I'm really reading. I just can't remember the title or the author. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a reader, so I remember the book that I'm about to start. <laughs> that's good. Y'all have one kid? Yes. yes. How old? Nine months old. Almost ten months. Boy or girl? Boy. Boy. What's the name? Titus. Titus. Excellent. Titus Brooks. Wall. It's a strong. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's a strong name. Uh, Starting with you, Amanda, what is your favorite band? Brandon Lake. Classic. What about you? Elevation. Okay. Christian, I I, I dabble in in every kind of music. Um, 21 Pilots. Yeah, okay. That's some of your stomping mm, grounds. I know bit. 21 Pilots, but okay. it's not mine. Okay. Sorry to say I'm not a fan, but. Yeah. You, were you a, uh, is 20, this may be a totally wrong genre. I'm about to make myself like an idiot, and it's too late now. Are they emo music? Like, uh, I mean, I, they branch from it, I'm sure. You okay. Know, I, I, I liked emo music. See, I did too, up, man. So. I was a big emo guy. It was the in a used? band. Oh, I went to a used concert. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went to a used concert. So I'm open for uh, Coheed, uh, no, Coheed and Cambria open for them. At uh, This is the first image that comes up. So, yeah, they're emo. Yeah, that's definitely emo. That's definitely emo. Yeah. Okay. I was a big emo guy back in my college days. Yeah. And so um, let's, we can talk more music off, off the air here because I'm right. sure we have more bands that we yeah. probably just listen to. Sure. What would be your last meal? Oh, if I was preparing, preparing Last meal, myself. man. You don't got to worry about health at this point, Amanda. <laughs> no. Um, I ain't worried about it if she is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going uh, I'm going Wagyu ribeye. Mm. Seared on both sides, medium rare. Um, 
some sort What's of your side. Yeah, uh, probably going to be macaroni and cheese. Okay, and uh, Caesar salad. Excellent uh, dessert. Dessert. I'll do a uh, bulldog cafe strawberry shortcake. Ooh, nice. What about you, man? Lemonade to drink. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> um. Well, I would. I think I would also do a ribeye, but with a baked potato and broccoli. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And dessert again. Don't have to be healthy at this point. Dessert. Freddy's vanilla milkshake. I've never had a Freddy's vanilla milkshake. It's legit. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Dairy Queen is my standard of ice cream. Not. Not Dairy Queen anywhere else, just Dairy Queen Paragold. Okay. Because it's different. It is privately owned. It's privately owned. Kind of. It It is. They're supporters of of ours. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We support them back. Okay, great. Um, Start with you, Amanda. What is on your nightstand right now? A sleep sack of Titus's. Perfect. What about you? It's on your nightstand. Garmin watch charger and a uh, iPhone lightning cord. Very good. And a good morning, handsome. Good morning, handsome. From Hobby Lobby. (laughs) Yeah. Did you buy that for yourself? No. (laughs) Praise the Lord, I did. I say, you have no shame anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I swung the other way. Hey, good looking. All right. Give us, this is starting with you, Brent, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Just an ordinary moment. Sitting in the truck, um, driving, um, with no radio on. Mm. Good. What would you say? Um, holding Titus, being mm. just, just holding him, standing up in the living room. It's awesome. Bad father. <laughs> no, you know, I actually thought when you're that young, when when you have kids that young, um, I almost wondered if you were going to say just being able to go to the bathroom without a kid and just sitting there for a while with peace and quiet. <laughs> but that's not an ordinary moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. That's funny. That's a rare one. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, okay, last question, and I'll start with you, Amanda. What is one thing that you are deeply grateful for right now? A life. What would you say? Purpose. Excellent. It's really been good for my soul to be able to hang out with y'all. Thank you for driving in. How long of a drive was it? An hour and a half. Hour and a half. Yeah. Thank y'all for coming in. Really do appreciate it. I know this is going to be helpful for a lot of people who get a chance to hear it. And uh, I really look forward to hopefully keeping up with you guys and your story. And uh, hopefully we can connect again in the near future. So thanks again for coming on. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. All right. Brent and Amanda have left the building. And here we are. Yeah. That was, um, I knew it would be good. All of them are. But um, some of them just hit me a little different than others. And this is one that, I don't know, man, it just it really moved me emotionally and I think it's just because I've brought this up several times, their vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this. When people are vulnerable, you move towards them. Yep. And that's what I think I felt in this conversation is like I, I genuinely like these people. It's like I want to spend more time with them. I want to get to know them. And it's not because they came in here trying to be impressive. Mm-hmm. They were just real. Yeah. And they were honest about their brokenness. And I think like if there's a lesson 
out there to be had and something I would like to see more of in all of us is be honest about the good, about the bad, about the ugly. The truth is all of us are broken, right? Like we all have issues in our life. We all have hangups. We all have certain things that we are ashamed of, skeletons in our closet, so to speak. And I think it's shame that causes us to hide that and say like, oh, I can't really be honest because if I do, if you knew everything about me, there's no way you'd love me or you'd want to spend time with me. You would reject me, which is like the greatest fear. And yet, every time, this is my experience, I don't know about you, Chris, but every time someone shares me something like that, again, I don't lean back. Like, I lean in. So, yeah. Brent and Amanda, thank you so much uh, for driving an hour and a half away just to be here for the podcast and uh, for sharing your story. For those of you who are still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. If you've not already done so, please go to Spotify or to um, Apple, whatever you're listening to this on, give us a five-star rating that helps us or helps others to find us more quickly and just learn about the incredible people that are living here. With that, thanks again for listening. Until next time.